We are joined now by Cindy McCormick at the Cape Cod Times. Hi, Cindy. Good morning. Cindy, more towns are placing restrictions on sales of vaping and flavored tobacco products. Tell us what's happening here. Yeah, well, this is while state and federal lawmakers are discussing ways to curb the use of e-cigarettes and other vaping products. As you mentioned, these Cape Towns are taking action. And it's some of the action is you know, fairly restrictive. Chatham joined Barnstable to restrict sales of flavored tobacco products that are particularly attractive to young smokers via regulations that went to effect September 1st. And Harwich has joined the uh, Board of Health voted last week to adopt similar, similar regulations that will go into effect January. Now, these include mint and menthol flavors, as well as the bubble gum and, uh, you know, cotton candy and other flavors that are banned by other towns. And one of the reasons why they're focusing on mint and menthol is they say that this is kind of a uh, a starter flavor for, for young people to start smoking or getting into tobacco products. Well, it... it well, all, they're all critics say that these flavors, all the flavored e-cigarettes and, and vaping products, uh, definitely appeal to, to the younger people. And you know, it, these cigarettes, these products are very popular now among middle school students and high school students. The menthol thing is interesting because that's long been associated with cigarettes. People sort of associate it with cigarettes that uh, sometimes they'll thinking of as a as a flavor. But Robert Collette, he's with the Capes Tobacco Control Division, said that menthol is really popular among young smokers. And one reason he said it's an anesthetic, so it's not as harsh. They can breathe it deeper into their lungs. Now, flavored cigarettes other than menthol, the cigarettes themselves, were banned by the FDA in 2009. Uh, this, these communities, what kind of conversation is happening with the businesses in these communities as towns are moving to try to limit the sales? Well, some communities do not ban the mint and menthol flavors. That's to avoid the pushback from local business owners. So on the Cape, communities that ban like the, the flavors, that the e-cigarette flavors like bubblegum, et cetera, are, but not menthol, are Brewster, Mashby, Orleans, Provincetown, Wellfleet, and Yarmouth. And, and Principal, the, uh, d- the discussion has gotten a, a little bit um, uh, adversarial. Cumberland Farms has filed a lawsuit against Barnstable, and that is uh, still pending in Suffolk Superior Court. And the company argues that the restrictions arbitrarily forced it to stop selling uh, the products while allowing competing businesses to continue selling them because uh, products are allowed uh, to be sold to people 21 and older uh, uh, to 21 and older and also that they're restricted to adult-only businesses in these uh, particular towns such as um, uh, smoke shops and they're saying you know you're so you're creating unfair competition between us and the smoke shop for the over 21 crowd the Capes, one of the, uh, Senator Julian Sear weighing in here and kind of giving credit to the local towns for leading this effort. Yes, he said this is a really terrific example of municipalities taking the initiative to make sure they're doing everything they can to protect public health. And talking about youth, um, the new tobacco restrictions in Chatham were actually prompted by Monomoy Middle School students. And uh, they made several presentations that really impressed the Board of Health. Cindy, I want to ask you about a story that you reported this week. It's uh, looking at how calls to the region's suicide hotline are going unanswered. Yes, well, this was the experience of a West Barnstable w- woman who called the paper, um, Jerry Moore, and she had um, she felt lonely, she felt isolated, so she called the two numbers that are actually, if you approach, you know, the we had a photo in the paper of the Sagmore Bridge with a sign, if you're desperate, call the Samaritans. So she called those numbers. A, a and, sign that most people are familiar with. It's been there forever, and it seems like when you cross the bridge, it's one of those iconic things you see. 
It is so iconic. I couldn't remember whether it was there or not because it's become <laughs> sort of wallpaper. So we sent our photographer out. And yes, it is. It is still there. But what happened is that, you know, the phones would ring three times and then disconnect. And to her, that was very upsetting. She was, um, you know, she felt that that's a sign that, um, that no, that no one cared, that you're actually building up your courage to reach out and ask for help and then actually literally being disconnected. And we here in the paper tried calling the line several times. We were also disconnected. And then another issue was that and this num- these numbers are listed on the Cape and Island Suicide Prevention Coalition page. And another, and th- there's a different Samaritan's number that's on the Massachusetts uh, a website, uh, the state website uh, to for suicide prevention. And that's an 877 number for the Samaritans. You're supposed to be able to call that from anywhere in the state and be connected. But what would happen is when you were calling from the Cape is you were being told that that number was no longer in service. And so I did talk with someone in the Boston Samaritans office, and they said they would look, they were put in a ticket to fix that. And they thought it must be a routing problem. As of Wednesday night, it had not been fixed. But they said that they they considered it an urgent matter and were going to look at the routing issue. And the Samaritans on the Cape what do they say about how this is staffed and what's going on here? Well, they say they need more volunteers. They get, you know, um, 1,400 to 1,600 calls a month. That's 200 more calls than at this time last year. And Director Stephanie Kelly said they're definitely looking for more volunteers. She said that callers would prefer to hear a ring rather than to get a voice message saying, you know, the volunteer is on another line. She said that she said she's been told that the ringing gives people hope, but I my, know when I talked to a responsible woman, that's not uh, how she felt at all. And she did end up at, uh, after uh, she tried calling over uh, more than a week's time, and then she did end up calling at nine o'clock on Sunday night. The Barnstable police, who sent two officers to her home to talk to her, and she said they were they were terrific. Uh, to give a sense of the service this provides, you, I just want to underscore what you, you said briefly there, which is that they get 1,400 to 1,600 calls a month at the at the Samaritan's hotline, right. and, and that the, the suicide rate for the Cape is actually higher than other parts of the state. Yeah, it's one and a half times higher than the state average. So there's definitely a need out there. And there are a lot of people out there who just feel isolated. They're not living near family. They, um, um, if they're older, their friends may have passed away already and they need a voice to, they need someone to reach out to. Now, I did try calling the National uh, Suicide Prevention Lifeline and that, that picked up right away. You did get a voice recording saying, hold on. And so I held on and then someone picked up. I also tried calling the Trevor uh, helpline that is for LGBT youth and young adults and someone did pick up. I was interested even to learn that the Cape hotline is not 24 hours anymore. I didn't know that. No. Uh, um, Stephanie Kelly from Samaritans on Cape Cod and the island said that about three to four years ago, they had to uh, restrict their hours to between 8 a.m. and 10.30 p.m. And because uh, just the lack of uh, overnight volunteers, the lack of being able to staff the overnight volunteers. I did speak to a suicide prevention uh, and crisis hotline expert at Columbia University, a psychologist, and she maintains that if you can't get enough volunteers to staff a hotline, don't have it because, you know, you don't want to run into the situation where there is nobody at the end of a line that you're reaching out for for help. Mm. Let's talk about the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe. A recall election for tribal leaders was scheduled for last weekend, but it was canceled before it could happen. Yes, and this has infuriated, infuriated the council member behind the recall effort. That's Aaron Toby, and he has he plans to file a complaint and request an injunctive relief with the tribal court so that they can hold a uh, so they can actually hold this recall election. 
what do we know about why it was canceled and, and, and what this is all about? Well, this is a, a recall against the council chairman, Cedric Cromwell, and the treasurer, Gordon Harris. And there, there's been a lot of controversies and division among tribal members about their, their role in the tribe and the tribe's finances. So they've had this recall election. They collected enough uh uh, signatures on a petition to hold this recall election, but basically the election committee canceled it, and uh, Aaron Toby maintains that the election committee exceeded its authority, and he is uh, asking the court to uh, uh, the, to order the election committee to schedule a recall election within the next 30 days. And he said, you know, the petitions were certified as sufficient by this very same election committee several months ago. And but there was the recall itself is you know pretty controversial as you would imagine. It was going to be the first such election scheduled by the tribe, and efforts have been underway to stop it ever since the petition signatures were certified in April. And um, for a tribal spokeswoman said she gave kind of a cryptic explanation for the uh, cancellation. She said it's based on the language of the August twenty second court case and did not elaborate uh, beyond that. But uh, and then a, a lawyer, I guess, for Aaron Toby weighs in here and kind of says that's, that that they're obscuring the the issue here that it's not based on that at all, really. Right, exactly. Because this was a whole different uh, complaint. This is um, that this is uh, against the election. It, this complaint was dismissed by the tribal court judge because uh, the, apparently there were not enough uh, signatures on a petition for a recall notice on a just, uh, tribal council um, on uh, tribal council uh, vice chairwoman Jessie Little Doe Baird. And the petition spell sort, fell short of the 100 signatures needed for her uh, recall vote. And uh, the, a, a tribal judge dismissed the petitions as insufficient as presented and dismissed Toby's complaint. But that was in a totally separate thing that was like these peti- these petitions are already certified. I mean, it was already certified that there were enough signatures mm. for, for for Cromwell and Harris. And kind of the background here is that the tribe is working on uh, trying to develop a casino in Taunton, and this is a five hundred million dollar investment for an outside company. Then people have concerns about where this money has gone. It's a huge debt for the tribe, and there, there's a lot of questions here. I think that has promoted this recall uh, move. Yeah, there's a lot of disappointment over what's happened, of course, with a, uh, a casino in Taunton that was supposed to provide uh, the tribes with with many jobs and, and, and income. And basically what's happening now is that they have um, this uh, the backer of the casino, who, uh, who Genting Malaysia, has um, withdrawn its support after writing off more than a $440 million investment as a to the tribe and the tribe as a loss in 2018, and that forced a round of layoffs at the Mashpee Wampanoag headquarters. And of course, the uh, the Taunton Casino has been facing fierce opposition by neighbors and lawsuits and all kinds of legal action. So this is you know the tribe is you know there's a lot of dissension going on. How did this happen? What happened to money? What happened uh, uh, basically because they're what they were hoping would be a, a a boon for the tribe has turned out not to be so. This is the News Roundup on the Point. We're discussing the top local news stories of the week. I'm Steve Junker. With us from the Cape Cod Times is Cindy McCormick. Cindy, you have a story on the front of the Cape Cod Times today about a young woman from Katomet whose medical difficulties are being made more challenging by what advocates say is an insurance system that's really not recognizing her needs. The young woman's name is Nicole Goodman. Tell us about this. 
You know, Nicole has been suffering for eight years with mitochondrial disease and dystonia. And this, um, she's had a fairly independent life. I mean, this this is a rare disease, and it's um, very difficult to live with. Her uh, One of her legs is just kind of frozen into place at an angle, and she has virtually no use of her left arm. Uh, she's developing tremors on her right leg. But what really happened, what, what set things back for her quite a bit was when she developed tongue spasms. And this this is part of the disease. She developed it this, this summer. This is a life-threatening condition that can actually block her airway. She was hospitalized for most of the summer. And now now that she's home, she really needs round-the-clock nursing care. But her mother, Heather Alden, said that they've been told, well, and Nicole herself, she have, she's very articulate and advocate, advocates for herself. And her mother, Heather Alden, said that uh, Medicare, which is her insurer because she's disabled, is um, is refusing to pay for a private nursing private nurse at the home, even for part of the day, and that the alternative is to go to a nursing home. this is such a difficult story, and, and you can understand the frustration here, the family. Uh, what are some of the avenues that they're pursuing to try to make this come together for them? Well, one of the things, they, um, the, a mother herself has written to uh, uh, different officials and legislators, and they've they reached out to Keating, uh, Congressman Keating's office, who uh, the office said that they are looking into this, and they were, they were quite concerned. And also, the, um, Nicole uh, Goodman's uh, social worker, Deb Berglund, is, was very upset, and she's at, she said that she's been a social worker for years, but she's so outraged by this that she took the step of contacting writing media outlets, with the family's permission, of course, media outlets and uh, state and federal officials regarding the situation. She said it's, it's a broken situation, and Nicole, and Nicole Goodman's condition just isn't fitting into these little boxes. For instance, she's not on a ventilator yet, thank goodness, but uh, they just don't recognize uh, – it's like the insurer just doesn't recognize the level of care that's needed. Now, the family, there is some hope. Um, uh, Alden and Goodman had a 45-minute teleconference Wednesday with representatives of the State Executive Office of Health and Human Services, and they were told at that time that their case would be a priority. Hmm. Cindy McCormick from the Cape Cod Times. Cindy, thank you for joining us this morning. You're welcome.